0: Hi, Jasmine Lopez here. If you like what you're hearing, you can donate to us by going to radioproject.org
1: and
2: click on the big donate button. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes, which helps other listeners
1: find us. Thanks, and here's the show. I'm Monica Lopez, and this is Making Contact.
3: Demographic danger. They really use this term, demographic danger. Meaning, these women will give birth to many kids. These many kids are going to be,
1: how surprising, Palestinian kids? They give birth to the next terrorist. Over a nine-month pregnancy, a woman and her developing child are both changing. A fetus eventually becomes a gorgeous little baby. And a woman, that baby's universe. Childbirth is where both are changed. But in a country like Israel, military occupation and armed conflict add layers of difficulty to childbirth that many would find hard to fathom. On this episode of Making Contact, producer Shaina Sheely takes us to a hospital in Jerusalem where tensions outside were mirrored among the midwives inside the maternity ward. <laughs> it's,
0: um... Amazing to see her in your your uh, arms after nine months. I felt so happy. So happy, really.
2: Shema just gave birth to a girl. She went into labor hours after her brother was shot in both legs by Israeli forces.
0: It's my first baby. Uh, so I'm really interested to have a good uh, treatment. Uh, but uh, I was afraid
2: afraid to go to an Israeli hospital. She delivered at a Palestinian one, even though she thinks Israeli hospitals have the highest standards of health care.
0: I'm afraid if I go there, that they may do something for me or my daughter. And maybe not now I can see it, maybe more after five, six, ten years. And I'm, I'm not ready for that.
2: In Sheyma's mind, the Israeli hospital would harm her daughter. That would never happen, says Dorit Hochner, head of OBGYN of an Israeli hospital less than two kilometers away from where Shema gave birth. It goes against all possible principles of care and this hospital's reputation as an island of healing. It's called Hadassah Hospital at Mount Scopus. The hospital was built in the 1930s on a hilltop in a mostly Arab area. In
4: 1939, the doors opened. Everybody came. The pioneer Jews from the Kibbutzim, the religious Jews from the old city, Arabs, all were welcome. The hospital was meant to be an island of healing for Arab and Jew alike. And here in East Jerusalem, it would be available to all.
2: Just a few years ago, the hospital was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize for exactly that.
4: Inside Hadassah University Mount Scopus Hospital, it's not unusual to see yarmulke-wearing Jews sitting or strolling alongside hijab-wearing Muslims.
2: There are a lot of stories about unity inside the hospital. The clip you're hearing is from Reuters, produced in November 2015. And we truly believe that medicine is a bridge to peace.
4: And that bridge, she hopes, will one day extend beyond the hospital halls.
2: This is not exactly one of those stories, though. It takes place inside the hospital walls in the sixth floor maternity ward where rooms facing east look out over Jerusalem's iconic Golden Dome and old walled city. We'll hear from Israeli and Palestinian women who are avoiding the maternity ward because they don't feel safe being so close to women from the other side. We'll hear from nurse midwives at Mount Scopus about the moments when bringing new Israeli and Palestinian life into the world is complicated and from a rabbi was called to the hospital to mediate tension among maternity ward staff during a time when the sacred space of healing couldn't withstand divisiveness from the conflict outside. Because even here in the maternity ward, a place dedicated to unity, healing, and literally bringing new life into the world, maintaining that bridge to peace isn't always easy. We are people. We hear the radio, we're in influ- influence, and I think we come to work also with our personal personal package. That's Dorit Hochner. She's the head of OBGYN for the hospital. She's an Israeli Jew, she calls herself a leftist.
4: You, know, you can't just ignore everything that happens out of the hospital.
2: Especially now. From October 2015 to May 2016, Palestinians killed over 30 Israelis, and Israelis killed more than 200 Palestinians, many described by Israeli authorities as attackers. People are scared, so scared that pregnant women from both sides of the conflict are avoiding the maternity ward, when the violence was at a peak. Uh, I was scared, you know, there's Arabs there. Like whenever they decide they just take out a knife or whatever they want. Malki is an ultra-Orthodox Jew, She delivered her first two kids at Mount Scopus, but went to a hospital in Jewish West Jerusalem for her third, even though the Mount Scopus staff tried to make her comfortable. So when they share a room, they don't put you together with an Arab. They try not to. That separation isn't enough to make her feel safe. The hallway, and when you go to eat, eh, eh, they come, they come a lot. It's scary. I'm
1: scared to go there.
2: There's no safety. There's no trust also. Hadil is scared, too. She's a Palestinian from East Jerusalem, and she also delivered her first two kids at Mount Scopus. This time, Hadil felt she had to choose between the best health care at an Israeli hospital and personal safety at a Palestinian one. It was really, really hard the decision, really. She chose Palestinian. And
0: now it's very s- a special time that... It- all rooms is full because in the last time, because of this uh, security conditions, people don't want to come to this hospital because the Jewish uh, afraid from Arab, Arabic people and Arabic people afraid from Jewish people.
2: Rivka is a nurse midwife at Mount Scopus. Her name has been changed to protect her identity. Yeah. She's Jewish. All the nurse midwives here are.
0: And I'm afraid also I'm going only by my car, not in the buses. I'm afraid of my kids go go along outside. I want them to stay home all the time.
2: Home is in a West Bank settlement, about a forty minute drive away. Violence there has been severe. A lot of the nurse midwives here are religious West Bank settlers. We are with Rifka now on the night shift.
0: <laughs> they want to come to drink coffee.
2: It's past midnight and she's sipping a hot drink from a paper cup. Her lips are pink and glossy. Feel now. She's wearing turquoise eyeshadow to match her green scrubs. There are about five other midwives around tonight. They'll all be getting new uniforms soon, purple. Rifka was the leader behind this cause. You know those people whose work makes them happier than anything? Rifka's one of those. It's, it's look like a miracle. It's a
0: baby come out. <laughs> you just see the head between the legs of the, <laughs> of the lady. <laughs> it's a it's very, it's very special thing to see a lady before and after.
2: Some of Rifka's co workers say she's one of the best midwives at Mount Scopus. Tonight, from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., Rifka's on duty in the admission room but helps out a coworker with three patients, one Israeli, two Palestinian. Being there to support all of them is really important to Rifka. So important that she signed up for Arabic lessons with a tutor in her settlement. She knows some words in Arabic related to her work, words like push, but not enough words to really talk. The Israeli Ministry of Health provides a 30 minute translation service over the phone that can be accessed by a toll free number. Tonight, one of the Palestinian patients has a Hebrew-speaking husband in the room. Rifka talks to him. The hospital says that in 95% of the cases, someone's around and available to help with translation. Rifka says a bunch of the doctors and some other midwives speak Arabic. She relies on them, or a patients' family members who speak Hebrew, when her patients don't. The sixth-floor janitor, a Palestinian from nearby, helps out a lot with translation. Tonight Rifka smiles big and approaches the Palestinian patients with affection.
0: all, all, all the time I hope it will be make the people close it. They will remember it. They were together and we help them. But I, I must be nice with everybody because I'm nurse. But I don't know what what these people will do outside. Maybe they will
2: kill us. I don't know. Another nurse midwife who also lives in a settlement said she's never afraid of her patients. When an Arab woman is lying naked on a hospital bed, she said, everyone can see that there's not a knife on her. Now, it's important to remember that a midwife's responsibilities are different from a doctor's. The International Confederation of Midwives says a midwife's job is not just to provide treatment, it's to provide care, comfort, encouragement, to nurture a woman through the most intimate moment of her life with loving support, which isn't always easy. While all of the nurse midwives I spoke with, including Rifka, say the conflict outside the hospital does not get in the way of their professional responsibilities to laboring Palestinian women, many say it can make the job more difficult, especially in times of conflict when the us-versus-them thing is even more distinct like during the summer of 2014, when Israel was at war with Gaza. the time, time of the
0: war and this conflict in Gaza, it was uh, more difficult for me to take care about the Arab, Arab people. A lot of midwives have sons there, so they should have come here and take care of the people who calls their babies jihad <laughs> and pray that their sons will be okay and will be saved. It's very difficult because this name said we hate you
2: it's our country Another nurse midwife told me she worked a shift the day 3 dead israeli boys were found after an alleged kidnapping by Palestinians Her name is Avia she delivered two Palestinians that day They they were nice it was it wasn't something with them it was hard like with this horrible thing that happened, you want something like, oh, I gave, I brought a, a Jewish baby to the world. You need something to calm yourself, she says. Something like bringing a Jewish baby into the world.
1: You go to the, the little boxes in your head which aren't particularly uh, true. It's like your safe place.
2: Avia recognizes how hard it can be to separate fear from logic. And Rivka struggles with that too. You feel so strange. They, they, They attack us, and I should stay with this woman. Tonight, Rivka stays with them. She checks on her patients with a smile. She hugs them and coos at them. She takes a coffee break, and then she goes back to check on them. They're not even her assigned patients. And then she thinks about it.
0: I think sometimes it's our hospital. It's our place, and I I want to help them. I want to give the service. I, I want to be very humanic to them. But it's my hospital. <laughs> so uh, my people, it's first.
1: You're listening to Demographic Danger on Making Contact. Because of generous support from listeners like you, this show is distributed to radio stations in the US, Canada, Australia, and South Africa. Find out how to support us or get our podcast by going to radioproject.org. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. Now back to demographic danger. In the second part of the show, conflict over segregation in the maternity ward comes to a head among the midwives at Mount Scopus.
2: As far as Rivka is concerned, her people, Jewish people, come first in the maternity ward. The result of that is something she goes back and forth on.
0: I think it's the same treatment for everybody. It's no
2: different. Again, Rivka insists she treats Palestinian women fairly, except for one thing. Sometimes I told you about the rooms, <laughs> only
0: this maybe, but the treatment, the level of treatment is the same. The
2: rooms, or something I heard about a lot at Mount Scopus. We have uh, beautiful rooms,
0: big, beautiful rooms, and smaller rooms. When p- Jewish people come, we prefer to give uh, the beautiful rooms for Jewish, Jewish people.
2: Some midwives hate it, and I don't know what to do. To be sure, there are a lot of midwives who appear to work totally professionally, who advocate for equitable care and the same rooms for Israeli and Palestinian patients. But most of the eight women I spoke with who had been nurse midwives in the hospital said that Israeli women sometimes get preferential treatment, including the better rooms with the better views. A few months after I recorded the interviews you're hearing, Israeli journalist Dikla Aharon released a report saying Arab and Jewish women are routinely segregated in maternity wards across Israel. Aharon called seven hospitals, including Mount Scopus, and asked about separation between Jews and non-Jews in maternity wards. Only two refused to segregate patients. Here she is calling Mount Scopus.
1: A nurse answers. She says something along
2: the lines of Of course, we separate Jews from non Jews. We do it without requests from the patients. We're even strict about it. Segregation in maternity wards is not a new story in Israeli media. Reports about maternity ward segregation have been published in reputable papers like Haaretz since 2006. But this time, after a member of Israel's parliament spoke up in favor of maternity ward segregation, Aharon's report became a topic of national conversation. Israeli online developer Dori Adar created a satirical web game called Categorize the Maternity Ward It's a wordplay on the Hebrew term for maternity triage. To win the game, players swipe Arab women's ID cards left into a dark, grungy hospital room on the screen. They swipe Jewish women's ID cards right into a bright, spacious hospital room. And Yonatan Blumenfield wrote and performed a parody song online based on responses from hospital spokespeople and far-right government officials. chorus of the song roughly translates into, just not an Ethiopian midwife, that's gross, just not an Arab midwife, and, if possible, just to make sure, that in the bed next door, an Arab is not being born. Because a good Arab is an Arab not born. Segregation in maternity wards is forbidden by Israel's Ministry of Health. It is against the official policy of all hospitals. A spokesperson for the Israeli Ministry of Health told reporters that the National Health Insurance Law ensures equal treatment for all patients. Dorit Hochner, the head of ob at Mount Scopus, told reporters that Arab and Jewish patients get the same medical treatment. The reason the hospital separates some patients, she said, is because they request separation. She says the hospital tries to be considerate of everyone's requests. Still. Some nurse midwives say a patient's request is not a reason to separate Jewish from non Jewish patients. One of those midwives is Tammy Daron. Tammy told me a story that unfolded in the Mount Scopus maternity ward several years ago. She was taking her Palestinian patient into a delivery room when a religious nurse midwife blocked the door, refusing entry. It was this midwife's first day back to work after being with her son in the hospital, a soldier, badly wounded during an operation in Gaza. This room is only for Jewish women. That's what the midwife said when Tammy tried to enter the room with her laboring patient. I told her, look, there's no connection between this woman who came to give birth and what happened to your son. Too many midwives at Mount Scopus, Tammy says, connect violence against Jews to all Palestinians. She eventually left the hospital because of that racism. Demographic danger. They really use this term, demographic danger.
3: Meaning these women will give birth to many kids. These many kids are going to be, how surprising, Palestinian kids. Not with us. They give birth to the next terrorist. And you can hear the the nurses that take care of the babies. They also say, here's another terrorist
2: born. It's this dehumanization, she says, that allows unequal treatment, like the separate rooms.
3: I don't think that she says, now I will revenge. It's not that simple she doesn't see this woman as a human being she sees her some idea of enemy you know when a woman from, from comes to you she gets undressed you see her naked she's spread actually on the bed in front of you she opens her legs and it's it's the most fragile position that can be she gives you so much trust and and uh, take advantage of this Confidence is, is, is the ugliest thing you can do, I think.
2: Again, a lot of midwives at Mount Scopus advocate for equitable care for Palestinian and Israeli women. And the hospital denies any difference in the treatment of Palestinian and Israeli patients. But the issue of blocking Palestinians from the bigger rooms caused so much tension among the midwives that the hospital ethics committee called in Rabbi Benny Lau to talk about equal treatment.
4: I just read the first chapter of the second book in the the Bible, Exodus, about the midwives in Egypt.
2: Those Egyptian midwives were commanded by Pharaoh to kill all the Jewish baby boys.
4: And then I played with that. You know, I tried to say what kind of hospital they have in, in the river of the Nile
2: said that the
3: egyptian will get the most beautiful spacious rooms with a view to the nile
2: and the hebrew women will get tiny rooms with, with no windows rabbi Lau's talk took place in a normal staff room but tammy remembers the meeting was not normal at all the room was packed with what seemed to be over 30 people midwives doctors senior staff it was tense the midwives sat in two groups on opposite sides of the room for and against, for giving Palestinian women the good rooms and against it. It was
3: very emotional, very emotional and uh, very tense. And I think the people who were not from our staff were shocked by the level of emotions I, I don't think that in any other section in the hospital, there are such uh, levels of uh, emotions towards this issue of, uh, you know, demographic uh,
2: danger. The meeting ended in people shouting at each other about what the Bible says. Rabbi Benny Lau said the Bible commands Jews to remember that they were once slaves in Egypt, so now they should treat the minorities of their land with kindness. In response, the midwives against giving Palestinian women the bigger rooms cited the commandment that says Jews should take care of the people of their own city before taking care of others. One of the midwives who said that to the rabbi, Tammy says, is now the head midwife. While Rabbi Benny Lau was called in to talk about equal treatment, even he gets why that's hard.
4: Try to think about yourself living in a situation that everyone your neighborhood, that is from the minorities, are suspecting that maybe he is against you. Think about more than that. Maybe one of your family you know, uh, was in a situation of terror act. And then try to think about this midwife who come to, to her work, to hospital, day after sitting Shiva to her husband who killed in the terror act. And then she see the whole family, the Palestinian family come to have, uh, to have birth. What her feeling is?
0: Maybe they don't smile, but they did the same job. Thanks God, it's nobody uh, was killed in my family. And a lot of the people in Jeruz- in, in Israel, they have uh, some of the family who was killed.
2: We're back with Rivka in the maternity ward. You try to help women to give
0: birth, and you get a so sweet baby, so nice baby and you don't know what this baby will be. Maybe a terrorist, maybe this baby will kill our kids. I don't understand that everybody in this world is equal and, pe- and Arabic people and Hebrew people and Jewish people the same.
2: You don't understand that? No. But what, what do you mean?
0: I think it's our country and Arabic people is a guest here.
2: To try to get where Rivka's coming from, you have to realize that she grew up in Russia. She wasn't a religious Jew back then, but she was still a Jew. In Russia, I was a guest. In 1941, Rivka's family fled from the Nazis. They rebuilt their lives in Russia after the war, but Rivka didn't feel like she belonged there. When she moved to Israel, she finally felt at home. She started covering her hair and praying regularly. She moved to a West Bank settlement. A few years ago, after she took a trip to Poland and saw concentration camps, her attachment to Israel became even stronger. So I don't understand people that they don't understand that
0: it can happen again.
2: Rivka compares her family's tragedy to what's happening to Palestinians today. It's the same for me.
0: I was a country, but somebody take it when the time we want we wasn't here, so it's the same.
2: Do you think it's like fair or okay? This,
0: what, this is what we have. These this people was born here, understand it's difficult. They, they can't go away, but everybody should know this is our country, Jewish people country. <laughs> Jewish people and we don't have another place in all world. After, after what happened to Jewish people, we should to be together and keep each other and take care of each other, more than other people outside.
2: But, like, your job is to bring more Palestinian life into Israel.
0: That's what we have, and we have no choice. What can we do? What can we do?
2: As a nurse, like, what is your responsibility to this issue?
0: Just stay human being. <laughs> Maybe people see us and try to be like us,
2: and then the world will be better. As the night shift wraps up, Rivka checks in on a Palestinian patient. She seems worried, and Rivka smiles at her. Earlier. I asked how she could be so nice to everyone. I don't know, really. maybe because it's nothing happened to me.
0: (laughs) I hope that the world will be better. (laughs) And I believe, I believe Jewish people must do
2: the best in this world. Maybe we'll change. Three weeks later, her friend Daphna Meir was stabbed to death inside of her home in a West Bank settlement. She was around Rivka's age and a mother to six. Rivka sent me a few pictures of Daphna. She was a nurse, Rivka said. Took care of many Arabs. When baby born,
0: I said, I hope God bless you and you'll be nice to Jewish. (laughs) Remember who helped your mother to give birth.
1: Several months after the story was produced, Mount Scopus Midwives told reporter Shayna Sheely that segregation is no longer taking place in the maternity ward. This edition of Making Contact was produced by Shayna Sheely with additional audio mixing by Monica Lopez. Advisors were David Cohn, Richard Cosi Hernandez, Dolly Lee, and Cynthia Gourney. Special thanks to Rivka, Tammy, and each woman who shared her story. Tan Feldman, Nahum Begleiter, and The Shawnee Family, Anna Sussman, Danny's Wordling, Joan Beter, Tim McGurk, The Berkeley Institute for Jewish Law and Israel Studies, Music by Beware of Safety, A New Dawn, Adriana Crickle, Cuddle Formation, Ergo Fizmes, Montplaisir, Carol Shirikov, Lee Rosevere, and Quiet Music for Tiny Robots. Additional footage and sound by the Spielberg Jewish Film Archive at Hebrew University of Jerusalem, Dan Williams for Reuters, and Jeffrey Heller and Ori Lewis for Reuters. Lisa Rudman is our executive director. RJ Lozada, Marie Chat, and Anita Johnson are producers. Quan Booth is our digital content and community engagement manager. To download a copy of the show or get our podcast, go to radioproject.org. I'm Monica Lopez. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.